0: and this tells a story i think also for the future of european industries we need a more robust industry for the new sector semiconductors batteries electrolysis hydrogen
1: welcome to the jolt it's the 15th of january 2024 i'm sam morgan your host Thanks for joining me today for the first episode of the year. I hope that all of you listening out there had a really peaceful break over the holidays and that you're ready to dive back into the world of climate and energy. The job will be hitting the airwaves every weekday. You can look forward to informative updates about the big issues, as well as a closer, more detailed look at one of the more fascinating stories of the day. That will include a hearty dollop of expert analysis from our guests, as well as hopefully a bit of entertainment along the way as well. If this is your first time listening in, welcome aboard. And if you're a returning listener, then thank you very much for joining us again. We've got plenty to talk about. Stay tuned later in the episode for a look at how Germany's decision to subsidise a new battery factory with a billion euros could affect how Europe as a whole deals with its global competitors in the green tech sector. First, though, let's take a look at what has been happening in the world of energy and climate. There's loads to get into in this first episode because the energy transition didn't really take a break over the holidays. Uh, There's too much to squeeze into just this one show, so today's roundup includes the bigger developments and some of the things that I found most interesting. First up, trouble in the Red Sea is disrupting global energy trade. Yemen's Houthi rebels have attacked commercial shipping heading to and from the Suez Canal. That has prompted a strong response from both the United States and the United Kingdom. Oil and gas tankers are either facing a long wait or choosing to take the far longer, far more expensive route around Africa. So far, the impact on the energy market has been somewhat minimal, but further tensions could trigger something a little more serious. More than 10% of global oil trade goes through the Red Sea, and with Houthi commanders pledging to keep attacking ships, we could be sailing into uncharted waters. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry is reportedly set to quit his post in the coming weeks. Kerry will step down from leading the U.S.'s international green diplomacy efforts to focus on helping fellow octogenarian Joe Biden secure re-election. Several U.S. media have reported that Kerry believes putting Biden in the White House for another four years is the most positive thing that can happen right now for domestic and international climate efforts. When you consider that the alternative might well be Donald Trump, it's hard to argue with that particular logic. The energy stats are in for last year, and as expected, 2023 was a record breaker. The world added 510 gigawatts of renewable capacity last year, which is a 50% increase on 2022. According to the International Energy Agency, it was the 22nd year in a row that renewables rollout has broken the previous year's record. I believe that's what you call a pattern. The current trend sees renewables overtaking coal next year. I'll link to the IEA's full 2023 stock take in the show notes, as it's a fascinating read. Deforestation in Brazil's part of the Amazon halved last year. It means that President Lula da Silva's pledge to halt logging completely by 2030 might actually have some truth to it. The Environment Agency said it's the lowest rate recorded in five years, but clearings still topped 5,000 square kilometres. That's about twice the size of Luxembourg. Norway has approved a controversial bill that will open up a huge part of its waters to deep sea mining operations. Under new rules passed only last week, companies will be able to apply for licenses to scour the seabed for precious minerals many of which are essential for green technologies like batteries. Norway insists it will only issue licences after conducting more in-depth environmental studies. However, scientists have warned that it could be devastating for marine life. It looks like there will be more developments in this sector this year. Hawaii has switched off its last coal power plant and replaced it with a big battery. The US state has put its faith in a 185-megawatt power pack, to generate power for the grid. Solar power will do a lot of the heavy lifting to keep the battery topped up with green electrons, and the state's utility says it will help reduce renewables' curtailment by more than 50%. It is also equipped with fail-safe measures that will kick in if the islands are hit by natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes. Sticking with storage, which I think is the unofficial theme of this particular episode, and the United Kingdom and Germany... Both made big announcements over the break. The UK opened a consultation on long-duration storage options, while the Bundesrepublik published a full-blown strategy. Both are linked in the show notes, and stay tuned for more on this in future episodes. In the meantime, check out our new deep dive on how storage revenues are set to evolve. Turkey's largest steelmaker plans to reduce emissions by a quarter by 2030. Demir announced a $3 billion plan last week that will involve replacing coal with biomass and gas, as well as installing new electric arc furnaces at some of its plants. The firm says it will be carbon neutral by 2050. Turkey is set to be quite affected by the EU's new carbon border tax, the CBAM, as steel is included on the list of products that will be subject to charges. Plus, Turkey is the EU's second biggest supplier of steel. The EU's new policy has clearly galvanised the sector's thinking on decarbonisation, and European plane maker Airbus is getting more serious about hydrogen. The firm is opening a new centre in the German city of Stad, dedicated to researching and developing the fuels applications. The first main priority for the centre will be developing lightweight liquid fuel tanks. Airbus hopes to get a first hydrogen-powered plane in the air by 2035. The plane maker is betting big on the fuel after shutting down its electric battery flight program. That's all of your news updates for today. Now let's move on to a closer look at the story of the moment. When the United States government announced in 2022 its multi-billion dollar subsidy scheme, the Inflation Reduction Act, Europe worried that big companies would up sticks and relocate across the Atlantic. That, coupled with the allure of cheap labor in China, meant European politicians have spent many a sleepless night tossing and turning over the prospect of becoming irrelevant from a green industry point of view. Their fears haven't been realized just as of yet, but Germany has decided to play the US at its own game and throw a load of cash at a green technology company. It may come to redefine how Europe fights for its place in the global energy transition. Swedish battery maker Northvolt is getting nearly 1 billion euros from the German government to build a factory in the north of the country. It means loads of jobs and potentially enough batteries to power a million electric cars every year. Northvolt is getting the money because the US had courted its business. Scared of losing the project, Germany made an offer, and last week the European Union signed off on the state aid decision. But Brussels did more than sign off on it. The decision got its full blessing and then some. Here's EU competition chief Margrethe Vestager announcing it.
0: Matching aid is a new feature that we are using. We have it in the temporary crisis and transition framework in order to make sure that
1: if companies are uh, offered uh, aid in other jurisdictions, uh, then if a member state is willing that they can match the aid in order for the investment to take place in Europe, for the technology to be developed in Europe, for the jobs to be situated in Europe. And this is, as said, the first case. It is Northwald who will establish the production of batteries in Germany. New rules mean governments can match offers to try and keep businesses involved with strategic priorities uh, within the EU. Batteries certainly fall within that remit. So for Brussels, giving the green light was an easy decision to make. It's the first time this new matching aid another entry in the ever expanding compendium of eu jargon that we just have to live with uh, it's the first time it's been used robert Habeck, vice chancellor and the german government's green chief also explained why the site in northern germany was actually chosen
0: northwald is producing in the future batteries for electric mobility in germany and not only in germany but in the state of schleswig-holstein to you know this the country there is not known for battery production so far, but it is known for renewable energy. A lot of renewable energy is coming from the west coast of Schleswig-Holstein due to the um, North Sea wind conditions. And this is the main reason that the battery production is going to hide it. Northwald searched for all over Europe for the right production conditions and they decided for this site, because the amount of green energy, renewable energy, is over 100%. Over 100% means, of course, that we are giving energy away to the south of Germany. So they don't only, only want to have green mobility, but they want to have a green production of green mobility.
1: I spoke with Green's MEP Rasmus Andresen about the decision. Rasmus actually hails from Schleswig-Holstein, the region where the factory will be built, So he's well-placed to speak about the kind of impact the project could have on the
2: area, as well as the wider EU. I think it's quite positive, uh, first of all, because we need uh, to see also private investments to deal with the energy transition, to reach our climate goals and uh, to fulfil the targets of the Green Deal. And uh, we also need to do this in a way that we still have a lot of industry uh, in Europe. And if there are new initiatives coming from European companies um, who would also like to create jobs in Europe, then uh, I think uh, it's good to support it. And um, uh, besides of like the energy transition and arguments uh, on, on the climate goals, I think it's also an important step when it comes to the economic uh, side because the uh, decision means that there will be created new and innovative jobs in in a region dealing with the energy transition um, and doing a good job there. So this is why I think that both from an economic perspective, but especially also from a climate and energy perspective, this makes uh, totally sense and uh, it, it means a lot for the region, but I think also for the energy transition in general for Europe. Industrial policy has never
1: been easy for the EU. I also spoke with Nils redecker deputy director at the Jacques Delors Centre, a think tank, about what this all means for Europe's ambitions to be a global player. I asked Nils whether this strategy of matching financing is a good one or whether it is actually a bit of a slippery slope.
3: So I think the matching aid clause has has three issues. One of them is more general and then there are two that are Europe, Europe specific. And, and maybe let me start with a general one. And that's just something to keep in mind here. It's an ugly instrument because it really embodies a subsidy raise, right? If you make it your official policy to match foreign aid um, you start off a bidding process over green investment between governments that benefits nobody but the companies that receive the money in the end, right? And the Northward case here really shows this um, what is happening is like only two years ago the same kind of investment would have received 150 million in state support. Now, two years later, nothing much has changed about the investment itself. Uh, Just the IRA has pushed up the price for it. And now it gets 900 million uh, in German taxpayer money. Now, in a world where everyone is doing industrial policy, the bleak reality is that to a certain extent, you have to live with this if you want to compete for green investment, right? But we should keep in mind that it's incredibly inefficient. And any attempt to limit this in terms of international coordination, uh, thinking this this through together with the US, would be very helpful.
1: I also asked Nils whether Germany's decision is indeed meant to benefit the EU as a whole, a point made by Robert Habeck, or whether national interests of wealthier countries risk setting policy for everyone.
3: Now I think this is and it's it's quite clear and this brings us a bit to the to the EU issues here, right? The first issue really is that this is completely nationally financed, right? Um it shouldn't come as a surprise that Germany is the first country to use this matching clause because it's inca- incredibly costly. Um and so Germany can afford this, and you can make the argument, right? It's better to have a, a battery plant in Germany than in China. Um from an EU perspective, but still, in the end, uh, it, it it really unlevels the playing field within the single market um, and it really sparks unfair competition. Even if it's good from a resilience perspective, it leads to economic divergence um, and 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 an issue of of this, uh, uh, state aid policies within Europe. So there is an issue from a European perspective here. Um, and I think there's a broader one that's even behind that. And this is that the matching clause makes your own policy very dependent on what is happening in other places, right? So what Europe hasn't done in response to the IIA and the fact that China is doing so much industrial policy is going back to the drawing board and thinking about, okay, in this new green industrial policy world, what are what is the niche that we are competing for? What do we want to com- prioritize? What is our competitive advantage? Instead, like a matching clause and other policies always run the risk that you're really only copycatting what is happening in, in, in places like the US. And probably a successful industrial strategy in Europe would need to look different. Um, So copycatting other strategies is probably not a good idea. Now, this
1: is a very complicated issue with some very far-reaching ramifications. Expect other countries to make use of this matching aid too. Germany will likely do it again if this investment proves to be a success. Why wouldn't they? A new European Commission will be put in place in the second half of this year. Whether it will try to do industrial policy with a green tint a little differently, will be one of the main questions that will be asked. Many thanks for joining me today. Kira Taylor will be with you for tomorrow's episode, so please do tune in then for more. Foresight has actually launched a brand new website for a brand new year. Head over to foresightmedia.com to check it out. Please also consider becoming a member of our community of listeners and readers. 2024 is going to be a huge year for climate and energy, and we promise to help guide you through it all. There's a special joint edition of the What Matters and the Policy Dispatch podcasts arriving this week. I joined David, Jan and Michaela to look back at 2023 and also try to make sense of what we can expect this year, so look out for that one. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the jolt possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the Jolt.